Because I have a question that I've been dying to ask you for weeks. <laughs> and Alex is grinning because literally I've this question has I literally I, I I told him I wasn't gonna ask it because I want him to ask it. It's an amazing question. Go ahead with it. So I feel like now more than ever more than ever with the internet, with books, with all the resources that is provided to us, I feel like this generation is very intact with their history. So my question to you is, do you think that it's harder for an African-American kid or student to be taught black history from someone that's not an African-American? Do you think it's harder for them to, do you think it's hard for that teacher to reach the African-American crowd? Because, you know, a lot of kids have the mindset, like you, you don't understand you, your background is your, you, you, you don't understand where I come from. It's no way you can sit here and teach this because you you're just going off of a book you really don't feel what i feel when you speak on it so do you think it's hard to connect for them to connect with the african-american students i wouldn't um i would say like anything else that's a fantastic question i'm gonna take a sip of my alkaline water if you don't mind here i'll go right ahead i'm gonna take a sip too uh but i gotta know whether it's alkaline okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> Purified. Yeah, yeah, it's the natural alkaline snack, the reverse osmosis. What's up, everybody? It's Willie and Alex from the Black Culture Podcast. I know you're ready to get into this video, but before you do that, make sure to subscribe to our channel and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Black Culture Podcast. Enjoy the video. Willie, man. So, it's a very special interview tonight. You know how much I love Black history, and I'm always talking about it. Yes, sir. And uh, we actually just came out of Black History Month. But, you know, with me, it's always Black History Year. Uh, we got a special guest on the podcast tonight that was introduced to us by the great Ron, Ron Johnson. The great uh, Ron Johnson. I gave him that name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, you know what? The, the great thing about him, he referred somebody that said, look, we want experts on here. And this person is, isn't just an expert. She's an educator. Uh, a consultant, humanitarian. Uh, she teaches the African-American Family Life course at CSU. And for those our audience don't know which CSU, that's Cleveland State University. Um, she also teaches the Black Studies course, which is an introduction into the study of people of African descent in the United States and the linkages to the African diaspora. Man, I'm excited. Welcome to the podcast, Miss Yolanda Burt. Oh, thank you, sirs. Thank you both. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be referred uh, by, of course, Ron Johnson, who is he is uh, such a leader in the community and uh, and who he is. And then for you gentlemen and your this platform that you are providing for not only myself but others through your uh, Black Culture podcast, I think it's phenomenal, and I commend you. I commend you both for the vision that you have and this to, to use this platform that you've been given. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Thank you. And before we get started, we have a Black Culture Podcast tradition that I'm that you forgot all season one. That I'm quickly not forgetting in season two. Let's go ahead and toast it up. All right. Blessings. Alkaline water here. Oh, that's that. That's what I'm drinking. All right, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's up. So let's go ahead and get into it. Um, you know, we just got out of Black History Month. 
um, which for uh, honestly, even for myself, a lot of us in this country is a time to not just learn, but to reflect on all of, you know, I would say from the beginning of our start in this land all the way up until now. And there's so much African-American history that we just don't know. Um, and usually when we think about Black people in this country, the first thing we want to start off with is slavery, right? But there was a beginning that far exceeds slavery and it goes well before that. And so with your uh, studies, I wanted to get into the time before we came to America, okay? So if you wouldn't mind, take us on a little bit of a journey and take us back to the time, you know, where our ancestors were in chains and whips because that's not where we started. Absolutely. And again, uh, that is the missing. It's always the missing piece uh, when we have either Black history or even through our textbooks and, and from the elementary on up, asking to the collegiate levels, oftentimes that is it. But we ought to know, we ought to be aware and to share that our history, the history of the people of African descent did not start with slavery. And I will take you back to some of the kingdoms. There's many kingdoms uh, and great civilizations uh, from the, uh, the African diaspora and the people originated for the continent of Africa, which we all, uh, all people do. But if we focus on some of the kingdoms, we can start in the Northern kingdoms. So we can start what we call Egypt, which is uh, really Kemet. Uh, Kemet means, um, it means, uh, it means black. It means black, but it's black, the soil, the rich soil from the, the fertile Nile. Uh, the soil, and also uh, there's other words, again, that the, uh, the, the Kushite people used and others used, and that which meant beloved, beloved land and motherland, and that's where we get that term motherland. So there's other words other than with the, um, when, when the uh, Europeans or, or those from uh, uh, Arabic uh, nations came in and called Egypt, Egypt. So, but we're going to call, we're going to go with Kemet and Kush and Nubia because all of these kingdoms uh, from the north, which was Kemet or, or Egypt, Kemet, Kemet, all the way through down to the, um, following the Nile, these are the, the civilizations that were surrounding the Nile River. So if we come down and we talk about the Kushites, the Kush and we talk about Nubia, and we're going into Southern Sudan. So we will have all these nations that were really one. They weren't separate. So it's really an oxymoron when we see uh, black pharaohs or, or black, that's because those are all one people, all one people, not separate as we would uh, portray uh, today or, or sometimes it's the, uh, oftentimes with the, the Eurocentric view of the world, um, there's an effort to make the, the northern part of the continent, of the motherland, Europeanized or, or even Arabic, but that is not the case. We know that with the, the, uh, the pharaohs that were just as much a, a part of, and matter of fact, from the south up, the southern part of the kingdom up uh, with Nubia and Kush, and we can see Meru, uh, which was one of the leading uh, cities um, 
Hey guys, it's Willie from the Black Culture Podcast. I know you're enjoying this dope interview, but before you continue, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Black Culture Podcast. Of the, of the empire there, uh, those kingdoms. So when we talk about those kingdoms, we, we know that Nubia actually had more pyramids than Egypt had, even more pyramids. And we know that with these kingdoms, it was it, um, you know, sometimes again, looking at how a Western, Western history, Western civilization, that there wasn't a, a, it was a separation, not an equal equality between male and female, but not so with the, uh, the leadership, with the kingdoms of uh, Nubia and Kush and Kemet. We see that the female rulers ruled uh, just as much as the male rulers. So we see those are some of the distinctions. And these are, again, very vast um, kingdoms that had um, trade throughout the world. Uh, this trade, um, again, in that known world uh, from, from Asia all the way into some parts of Europe, we see the trade going on. So we see these great civilizations. Um, oh, then again, that's just, just to be short about it with those kingdoms. And if, and if we would move then to our Western part of the, uh, of the continent and we can see the ancient kingdoms of Ghana and Mali and Sangay, we'll put those grouped together because with the, um, as they expand its expansion of the kingdoms, we see the great, uh, one of the, what you would see on some, uh, even in high school, you might've seen on some maps, some old European maps or Portuguese maps or Spanish maps. And you see this black man with a gold, with gold in his hand is, well, you never thought who that was. So that's King Mesa Musa. Uh, Mesa means King Mesa Musa. And he was one of the, the richest uh, man in the world at that time. And that kingdom that he expanded continued to, uh, to really, again, not only with the trade and exploration, but the wealth of that country. And not only the wealth, but the intellectual wealth of that country. We see one of the oldest universities in the world uh, there, the Sankori Institute or Sankori uh, University in Timbuktu. And we, can, we know that by the history and the trade of books and that's why you got to watch what we say, you know, the terrible myths that, you know, that we need to really stop. Like if you want something hidden, put it from a black person, put it in a what? A book? Wrong. Books were part of, was a, a trade. You hear the, the knowledge people came from all over the world, came all over from over the world for the Sankori Institute. So we would see those things and know that these kingdoms, and we know that, um, Another one of the kings that really uh, was a predecessor to King Mesa Musa, uh, uh, Akbar II, really was the person that traveled and we had the evidence, archeological ed evidence of him arriving to the new world, um, uh, South America, uh, North of the Americas before Columbus. And he uh, then left with his ships, he took, um, I think over a thousand men on the ships with him. And that's why the, his successor, 
then took over the kingdom. So we see all this history and these are legacies that we should share with our children and with our children's children so they would know. All right, so then if we go to the Eastern part of the continent. And so we hold go, on one second, because okay. uh, you are getting into it and- Okay, I can slow down. No, 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 you're good. So there's a lot to unpack. Um, I wanted to go back to ancient Kemet, right? Mm -hmm. And I was never really, I never really knew what, what timeline that was in. So how, how far back are we talking when we talk about Kemet, Nubia, Sudan, Ethiopia? Oh, absolutely. You're talking about the uh, BC, okay? So, um, uh, so you, you those that's the era before, well, they would say in the terminology today, before the Christian era, uh, you would look at that, you would look at that time frame, and you would move it all the way up until the, the, the third and fifth century AD. All of these, yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. You're talking about early civilization, early history. So, well, Europe was still in this dark ages. Africa was in its golden age. So that's what we can look at. And we can look at some of the, what we would consider, as you probably learned in school, as we all have about Greek history and Socrates and Plato. But we know that through a lot of the writings of the, not only Greeks, uh, but others, uh, a lot of the Arab writers would say the same, they would come to learn from the Africans, to learn from the Africans and hope to they learn, we come and learn from the Africans. So it's not, it wasn't a secret. It wasn't, um, it wasn't something hidden by any means um, that this knowledge would come through the other parts of the world from Africa. Now we have to always remember that the Africa is the, the, the heart of civilization, all for all mankind, all humankind. So we can see that the myths about it being uh, the primitive uh, and undeveloped. Uh, yeah, any I, areas, any areas in the world have that. Any areas, anywhere you would go would have areas that are remote. That are, but again, the civilizations, which were again back uh, two thousand years ago, okay, over two thousand years ago, thousands. Yeah. I think uh, it's been clear about that. Yeah, no, no. I think it's been proven that uh, that the oldest living, well, not living, the oldest fossil from a human was found in Ethiopia, right? That's correct. That's correct. That is correct. And when I went to Ethiopia, they have. Um, see, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mess up the name. Your big say Lucy, but they. Um, I'm not going to mess up the name. I wish I, I could speak that more clearly. Amenadish is something to that nature. It's an Amaharic. Is it I'm, I'm, Amaharic? Amaharic. Yeah, it's yeah. Amaharic. It's the language of uh, the majority language of Ethiopia. The, the oldest language in Ethiopia is Gese, which is one of the oldest written languages in the world. And that's where I was going to go when we're talking about the Eastern uh, part of Africa. And we see the kingdom of Axum. Axum and Abyssinia, Abyssinia, which you know Abyssinia, right? Abyssinia, and that's the name for Ethiopia. And that, that was the horn at the time, it was not landlocked, you know, because it would it, uh, it would encompass 
uh, Eritrea and Somalia, uh, Eritrea and then Ethiopia and somewhat of Kenya would all be a part of this kingdom area. Again, we put, you know, it's just now, you know, borders and things, you know, things of that nature. And we take that back to the scramble for Africa, back with the uh, Berlin uh, conference, but that's another story. But sure. if you're looking at the early kingdoms, if you're looking at the early kingdoms, again, we're talking about uh, going, wait, we're going into again BC with these kingdoms and then going into the different dynasties uh, with the um, Abyssinia, uh, people don't realize uh, that, again, a lot of myths, a lot of myths, and one of them uh, is about Europe uh, or Christianity being Europe, Europe or Western, where it's the, it's the opposite. All of these, uh, the first Christian nation in the world named called Christian nation in the world was in Ethiopia by King Azana. Okay, and this is in the fourth and fifth, uh, well, well, they say first AD, but well, really second and third uh, AD, okay? Okay, you were talking about, and prior to that, they were a Jewish nation, Queen Yodith. We say uh, Judith uh, in English, but it would be Yodith, Y-O-D-I-T, um, and with the rulers of Axum. And we know that, uh, we know that this is, uh, again, throughout the history and legacy of, of Ethiopia, uh, claiming the Solomonic uh, dynasty, uh, calling from King Solomon's heirs on down with Menelik, Menelik King Menelik I, who is said to be the, the, the son of the Queen of Sheba of Ethiopia and King, um, King Solomon. But anyway, but regardless, regardless of that, we, we know that the, the historians and that like gain uh, architect this is this is uh, the science of it that the the evidence is there that um, that again these are early from the architecture on you can see that these these strong strong civilizations dynasties cities uh, again trade commerce all of these things uh, part of the these kingdoms and that, to, you know, so that's just the name of few. And if you could just go on down the line um, and if you go, okay, we stop with the East. So let's go to the central part in the, uh, in the Congo, the great kingdom of the Congo, the central part of Africa. We have, again, all of these and they traded with one another, uh, again, with these different divisions that we have with borders and so forth, it was trade enter within the continent and then trade what they would do outside of the continent. And we really see evidence that in, even in the southern part of Africa with the, the kingdom was called Great Zimbabwe and the, and the Zulu people. And we have all of these dynasties here and we have evidence of, uh, of the Ming Dynasty China pottery being in, found in Zimbabwe where they would do trade you see what I'm saying? So again, it's not that uh, Africa is being, uh, it's, it is that it's being portrayed, portrayed as something being isolated in the dark continent, meaning unexplored and waiting for uh, the European uh, community to, or governments, uh, systems or whatever, uh, to discover them. They were well known 
and they were trading um, back and forth. And that's what made uh, the whole institution of uh, global enslavement of African people so insidious because they were well aware of the history, well aware of the uh, natural resources, well aware because of the trade that had been taking place. So we Yolanda, all- I have a question. Yes. Mm, so- Stop me in mid-trade. Because- <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Because you just gave so much knowledge and so much, like everything you just said, I did not learn this in high school. Like Alex said before, they started immediately from slavery. Mm-hmm. So if if you can, and I know a lot of our, our, our listeners and our viewers just learned a lot too. Where do you think that started at to where they was just like, you know what, forget the rest of the history, forget what happened before slavery. What 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 made the decision for them to say just knowing about slavery was the only importance and not what happened before then? Because they just start just you, you learn about Harriet Tubman, you learn about Rosa Parks, but you don't they're not teaching us about what the knowledge you just given us. So like, where did that start? Where they just came to this conclusion? Like, you know what? We're going to start them right off with slavery. And like, what, where, how did that happen? Well, it started when I have to go back again. If you look at the house history evolved itself and looking at the justification of the enslavement of people from Africa or African descent. There had to be in the mindset, a justification for it. Because in the human spirit, you know, it would still, no matter how horrible somebody would be, you'd have to feel some kind of way about enslaving someone and human beings. So it had to start with the mindset or, or, or this ideology that Africans, people from Africa, had no history, had no civilization in order to justify going in and strip- I love, I love what you're saying. I love it. Had to go in and strip people, kidnap folk, rob them of their, their, their uh, culture, you know, forbidding them to use their language, forbidding them to use uh, the talking drum because they know that was a communication piece, all of these things. So if you think about it from the beginning, when we were talking about even in the 1400s with the Portuguese uh, coming in uh, to Africa to start this before, way before the 1609, you know, Jamestown, right? So if you have all these things in place to justify, then you have to keep that going. You have to keep that story going. You have to keep in the mindset of a people in order to keep someone enslaved mentally that you don't have a history, that you don't have a tradition, that you don't have a culture. And if you put these things in systematically through uh, education, through the medical field, through so-called science, so making up a fields like anthropology at that time, you know, thank God everything has changed now. But at that time, you have to put all these false narratives in place and in order to justify, in order for you to feel all right 
about what you're doing that, you know, starting from the worst case that they weren't even human, right? To backing off of that a little bit, human, but not so much, but, but inferior, but lacking culture, lacking these things. Uh, again, even going back from the false religious uh, uh, paradigm of, okay, we have to Christianize and knowing that they were, most of them were already Christian before you got there. But how can we enslave people that, that you know? So again, all of these things, and we just see it as it comes to the 21st century, that yet these truths are trying to, you know, be hidden because you still have this same narrative going on. If you still believe that we have to control the, the wealth of the continent or that you control the wealth of the, and the resources because they don't really know, they're just, they're just getting independent, they're just getting, no, they're getting restored back to what was taken, but it's still the ramifications of these centuries and centuries and centuries of, and, and again, look at, you know, we just take a little peek at our, this, what's been uh, just right in America, as far as what's going on, why should we even need something that says Black Lives Matter if these things didn't, still don't resonate with people, that the humanness, that the, the, the rightfulness, the divine right of African people, of people, of people, of human beings. And then you have to still justify what great, great, great grandfather did or whatever the case may be, or the four forefathers did. Uh, and you have to justify it. So let's just keep, well, wow, I, why did we do that if they already had their own? Why did we you know, raise so many questions? But Thankfully, people are willing to ask, and I see that in my class. People want to know. They say, now, wait a minute. Something's not, no, that's, wait a minute. What's going on? Why did before, we- Before you jump into that class, because I'm glad you, you brought in your class into it, because I have a question that I've been dying to ask you for weeks. <laughs> and Alex is grinning because literally I've, this question has I literally I, I I told him I wasn't going to ask it because I want him to ask it. It's an amazing question. Go ahead with it. So I feel like now more than ever, more than ever with the Internet, with books, with all the resources that is provided to us. I feel like this generation is very intact with their history. So my question to you is, do you think that it's harder for an African-American kid or student to be taught black history from someone that's not an African-American? Do you think it's harder for them to, do you think it's hard for that teacher to reach the African-American crowd? Because, you know, a lot of kids have the mindset, like you, you don't understand you, your background is your, you, you, you don't understand where I come from. It's no way you can sit here and teach this because you, you're just going off of a book. You really don't feel what I feel when you speak on it. So do you think it's hard to connect for them to connect with, the African-American students? I wouldn't, um, I would say, <clears throat> like anything else. That's a fantastic I'm question. I'm gonna take a sip way. of my Thank alkaline you. water if you don't mind here. I'll go right ahead. I'm gonna take a sip too. Uh, but I gotta know Willie is alkaline though. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's purified. 
Yeah, yeah, it's the natural alkaline, it's not the reverse osmosis and stuff. But anyway, I would say that like anything else, it's when you see someone that looks like you, be it in that classroom or on the corporate floor or whatever feel, you feel more empowered uh, when you're hearing it from someone and seeing it, it's, it's, it's it, like anything. If you're in, uh, again, if you're in the medical field and you see doctors that, are, that look like you, you're more encouraged and empowered to do that. Not to say that if you had a mentor or someone that wasn't a, a person of color that had that, and I uh, talk about in my class, the black consciousness, and, and, and uh, interestingly enough, the majority of the students in my class are not African-American. So I say in our class, we're all, we're all uh, from, we're all, there's an African-American family class. We're all part, everybody in this class is part of the African-American family class because there's a thing about consciousness. You can have the, uh, the, uh, uh, the heart, so to speak, and the awareness of the black experience because you want to know, because you care, as opposed to those that are in the, the field or whatever that, that, that don't care about the uh, African-American experience. So I would say that it, it surely, it, I'm sure it's more of a challenge um, for that, that person that's instructing if they're not a person of color, if they're not African-American. However, if they can, can really portray their or display their heart and their care about those experiences and tell the truth about the history, because that's what people really want to hear. They want to know the truth. They want to know the facts. So whatever vehicle, whomever that vehicle is that is uh, giving that truth, I think it would be received because in, in the, uh, at the end of the day, that's what, that's what the students, that's what anybody wants to hear. They don't want to have part of their history told. They want the whole history. So whoever is, is conveying that, whoever can communicate that, let, it, let them communicate it. But they can that's a great point because uh, what a lot of us don't know is that uh, as Americans, you know, we're, I think there's 40, 50 million of us, there's 200 million whites in this country. A lot of them travel to Africa way more than we do. There's a lot of African Americans who've never even been to Africa. Um, but I'm, I'm glad, glad you brought that up because a, a lot of them do know the history. There's a lot of white educators who don't teach the history, but they know the history, right? But yeah. I want to throw a curveball at you, okay? So we've been called so many names throughout our time here in this land. You know, I'm not even sure what they called us when we first got here, but from history, we've been called everything from nigga to Negro to color to uh, African-American to afro-american now it's back to people of color right all these different names which i mean says a lot for our identity because it's actually someone else choosing our identity when did that start when 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 did that trend of okay let's continue to rename them so they can never develop identity and sort of a uh 
cohesive culture on their own until now we're just being called black which only issue i have with that is i was born in america i should be considered american we call everybody else by their country name by the name of their nation and all we get is a color which to me is a disconnect from africa and i think they know that but can you ex expound on that a little bit as to when that started that just to give an overview of that, I would go into uh, again the global enslavement. Uh, they they were very aware uh, well of what we called one another. Then you were you were Kushite, you know you were you were you know from uh, whichever particular kingdom you're Aksumite or or whatever uh, particular group uh, from the Zegwe. Uh, or Ashante, you know, Ibu. So we weren't describing each other then uh, based on definitely not color. Color was irrelevant, uh, definitely not the, the skin color, but just from your family group or your kindred group or your, again, your nation group, uh, that, uh, as I mentioned, okay. So the awareness of that was very clear. So then when the you know Europeans came in, the Portuguese, for example, and see dark with negro, black, um, which is black in Spanish, as you probably already know, uh, that's where that, that's where you get that from. Okay. And then uh, it was just more of a, a demeaning sort of thing. Uh, and not to be calling people on another, if I can, uh, if I can go there and I will go there, um, they would know back to go this. there. Okay, I thank you. Uh, with this misnomer with the, uh, the with the Christianity of Bible, they knew that if you can read, if you call yourself a Cushite, well, Cush is all through the Bible, right? Over 44 times, right? Okay, Ethiopians. It's that it's all through, yep. all through, all through, all through the word of yep. the Bible. So if you take those, they say, oh no, they'll recognize themselves. <laughs> they're, you know, they're recognize themselves. They know, they know Ethiopians, they know Kushites, they know, okay, they they know that from Cyrene, they know these, they need these paper, they know these places. So if you take that out and just put this label, this made up Negro, black. Or the black, or then you—you—that's that disconnect. I—I I take that connection away, connection from your continent, connection from your history, connection from your people. I take that away and I replace it with my narrative, and that's what we do. And uh, I mentioned the university, but I also talk about the Mount Pleasant Heritage House, and that's what we—we we want to do to make people know to of that awareness that you have a goodly heritage. And that heritage is that identity, that connection, that connection that you have. And I agree that the, to allow people, and that's again, part of what we do the Mount Pleasant Heritage House, to tell your own story. Because if you let somebody else tell your story, this is what you end up with. You end up someone telling you who you are, labeling you who you are. So that's the, the whole point, and you're right on point, uh, Eric, with that, that it being called, and that's why I say, 
you know, generally speaking, when I'm talking, I don't say white, I say European Americans. I say African Americans, unless I know that somebody, you know, like they call themselves an Italian American or you know, from Italy or whatever. But in general, if you just make it a general statement, European American, you want to make a general statement, African American, uh, you know, and that's how I see it as well. Uh, because those other, uh, unless we get it down to where exactly uh, uh, that we're doing. My husband's really into genealogy and he does his tracing. He took the DNA. Um, um, my daughter gave him that uh, for Father's Day and he traced from the Berber, the Berbers, which is northern part of, of Africa. But anyway. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually glad you brought that up. Stay, stay right there because my next question is this. So I have a, I have a buddy. He's from South Sudan, mm -hmm. the Dinka tribe. And, uh, you know, we talk many times because his culture is very different than here. In fact, when he came here, he came to this country as a refugee and he didn't even understand money because they had a completely different type of culture. But he said when he came here, they told him, don't talk to those black Americans. Right. He said, don't talk to those black Americans. In fact, he he he, he told me this and, you know, he, he and I can discuss without emotion right we're just quoting facts he said uh we call you black americans we are the african americans right i have another buddy of mine his wife is liberian and she has i mean if you saw her walking down the street you would just call her black right because we all look alike but she her culture and our culture is completely different so she doesn't understand quote-unquote black history as far as the way we understand it that connection with this so here's my question how important is it for us as african americans to reconnect with africa and to learn the cultural differences as well as the similarities because so many of us talk about all the differences but there's so many similarities in in almost every facet of our cultures but how important is it for us because we just talked about disconnection but how important it is, is it for us to reconnect? Oh, I love it. Thank you for that question. Uh, we have at the, our university, the African Student Alliance, and a part of that is that bridging of the gaps, is a part of that bridging of the gaps. And I would echo your story. Uh, my husband and I, um, where our, our, our son, he calls us mom and dad, he's from Ethiopia. Uh, when I went to uh, over a period of three years was in Ethiopia. And uh, at the time he was just still in high school. And to make a long story short, he came to live with um, my husband and I uh, right after he graduated from high school. And of course, uh, he lived with us and now he's uh, uh, got his degree and uh, got his graduate degree and is married and has, and I'm now, I'm a grandma with his, his, his wife just had a, uh, um, a, a child. And they, and anyway, the story is this, told the exact same thing. If you go uh, to be a host parent um, and, and listen to what they say, like you're gonna come to Cleveland, make sure you live on the west side, don't live on the east side. They are told that they're directed on who to be around. And one of my, uh, our, our, friend, our good friend uh, who's Ethiopian too and is in, um, lives in California and she was, she's livid about that. She said, you're telling me to fear my own people. 
you know, she recognized it. You're telling me to fear my own people, the people they look like me. And you're telling me to fear them, to stay away from them. But again, you gotta go back. It's all part of that same, same narrative, that justification narrative, that justification narrative that they're, they're, they're keeping that superiority um, myth going and that difference is separate going. So it's critically important that we bridge those gaps. And then when you uh, come together, you, you find uh, it's just a wonderful thing. And, and when you go to the continent, if you like you, you have said, you go to Africa and they'll, they'll tell you, welcome home. That's what I was told, welcome home. And people will come up to me and start speaking to them. I'm horrid thinking that I was Ethiopian. And this is a connection there. And we talk and we gather our, just again, and just to, to coming together and to talk. And um, other, you know, like say friends that are from Nigeria, same, you know, the same thing. But when we come together, that's why it's important for us to come together when they have, uh, uh, because of the pandemic, they probably won't. But every year, my husband and I go to the Nigerian um, uh, celebrate in Cleveland. Um, the, uh, their celebration, their independence celebration is always in Cle uh, at the Civic there in the Cleveland Heights. And, or was, well, last year was never spot. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Seek those things out. We have to make an effort. We have to make an intentional, be intentional about reaching out to have those conversations with one another. So we can see like, well, who's, who, I mean, what's really behind this thing, keeping us separate, making you feel that you're different than I am. But of course we're different in nationality because I'm an American and you're Nigerian or you're, uh, you're from Liberia or you're from the Sudan. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we are the, we come from the same biological history roots and that's Africa. That's our common ground. And that's our common, you know, we're all, you know, there's one race we know is the human race. We know this. But as it relates to our ethnic groups, our families, our kindred, our kindred, okay, nationality, ethnic group, we know that those are the commonalities that we have with one another. And when we talk and we celebrate, you'll, all the little things come right on out those things, those similarities, those common threads, the values. And that's what we, we talk about too, those traditional African values that you can still see today in that African-American family, that, that African proverb about uh, the uh, takes a village to raise a child. We see that in our everyday experience in the part of the black experience. We see that in our tonal language, our tonal, we see, we see the rhythms of our voices, all of these threads. We see our aptitude for our sciences. We see our aptitude for our math competency. We see these things that we've been told we don't have, but when we peel them back, we do, because that's part of our gifts that we've every group, every people have gifts that they've been given. That's one of our gifts, another one of our gifts. Not just the music, not just the, the but these other gifts that we're given that we can see that comes straight from our ethnic roots. And when we talk about those things, that's why the dialogue is so important. It's like the platform is like this. When we talk about these things and have an uh, opportunity to engage 
with uh, our, our, our other brothers and sisters from Africa, we can we will see more and more of those common threads, and that's just how we look. But I our, have one for you. I ha I I have one for you. So, what do you think now, as far as the gen this generation now, and a generation coming after them? What do you think we all could do and they can do to make sure our history? continues to go on but in a positive way now not with those like to to stop those narratives to put a stop to those stereotypes those the fake news as people call it what can this generation do also to help the generation coming behind them to make sure they are educated to know the correct history that's an awesome question brother awesome thank question. you sir question and and i will hopefully give a the answer, uh, one, well, what I, I can just do what I believe, okay? And that is books, read. There's so many children's books that talk about our African heritage. There's so many, because uh, there's really no excuse now because you all, this, you, your generation is the information generation. So you have it, you have it on this internet. You can look up some of it. I would say credible sources, let, let me put it that way, credible sources that would help to get you the knowledge. You don't have to, and, and of course, everybody wants, you know, going on to higher education, that's wonderful. But I'm talking about for the children, for the little ones, it can start with the little ones, just as other cultures teach their, uh, on, their on their knees, teaching their uh, children sitting in little babies on their laps, sitting on their knees, they teach them their history. We need to do the same. You, through children's books, through what you're learning, what you, and just repeat the story. You know, we are, we do have our oral tradition. Yes, we have our, our books, and we again, we've already established that we have uh, a long history of written language. But our oral tradition, our oral tradition, is powerful. So as you continue to share those stories the history you shared with the children, your children, your little brothers and sisters, whoever, whoever, the nephews, nieces, you share these stories, you share your history, they'll, they're not gonna forget it if you keep sharing it and passing it on. What I'm very hopeful about this generation, uh, which is different than my generation, so to speak, when you, uh, that the, the negative, so much negative about Africa, when they say, oh, you're African, that was supposed to be an insult, you know, which is which terrible. So I'm, 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 gl I'm glad you brought that up because that's going to segue into what I wanted to ask you. Did I answer your question there, Willie? Did yes, I answer you did. Yes, you did. Books yes, and you did. hearing it orally, having this, this, and reading to your children, reading to the young ones, talking about it and passing on that oral history. It's powerful. What we say out of our mouth is powerful. So keep speaking life about our people. Yes. And that's how we're going to carry it on. Okay. I love that. Thank you. No, yeah, that, that was a great answer. I remember being a kid and my mother would always tell me, you know, you come from kings, right? And here's what's funny about that. And then I'm going to go into my question. My brother from Sudan that I told you about, this is the guy who can look at you and tell your ancestral heritage right mm -hmm. so i remember one day we were just sitting together and i'm showing him pictures of people i was like yeah where's he from where are they from where blah 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 and i had the answer 
but he could just look at a picture and tell where you're from. He said this to me because he knows both of my parents. He knows my mother and he knows my father. He said, I can look at your mother and tell where she's from. I can look at your father and tell where he's from. He said, your mother is Nubian. And he said back then, he's like, because y'all all look alike. I can just tell exactly where you're from. And he said, they were kings. He said they were actually because he he got this information growing up and his tribe is actually some of the tallest people in the world. Like his uncle is Manute Bo, his cousin is Luol Dan. Like he he knows these people actually. But he was like, yeah, I could tell you this. I learned this growing up. Anyway, here's my question, which is why I brought that up. How important is it? You said your husband is really heavily into genealogy. How important is it for us to take those DNA tests? And if we take them, if we take them or if we don't take them, how important is it for us to go to Africa and visit motherland? Um, I'm not a big proponent of D DNA testing only because I'm not a conspiracy person, but I just always wonder, you know, what people do with information. So I'm not pushing that, even though that's what my, my husband did and which is one, you know, which is great. But there's other ways to trace, and that's the traditional way of just going through, you know, just the research of the archives of the, um, we went to Centerville, uh, uh, Alabama, I think it was a very small town to look at some of those, uh, the, uh, the wills, you know, where they willed African-Americans like they did, you know, furniture or livestock and get those research and then tracing and that just going back and some of those archives way, but anyway, so, but I know it's modern day with that, but I'll leave that part of it alone. But the, the other part, it is important. I think that if, um, when, it, when people are able to, to go to the continent and to um, just to have that experience of being in the motherland, to just to have that experience uh, putting your 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 feet on that soil, and just to uh, reconnect with the land and the people there. Um, I think that maybe it's a, a goal for if anyone would have in their lifetime just to do. Um, but you know, we know that's if it's not possible. My like my dad and my mom didn't. Uh, do that, but we are, he, uh, my parents always taught us, like you're much like your, like you described about your parents, they taught us uh, a lot of this history that I think that's what I, you know, the love of it comes from. It's not that, not from school, but from my parents. They taught us all of that. They taught us our history. They taught us about Africa and the kingdoms and the people. And we came up with that with like feeling good about when somebody calls you black or African, you didn't like, oh, well, thank you. You know, it was a different response because you knew, you knew who you are and that identity. And that's why, again, it's important for us to stop with, stop hurting ourselves by with this negative uh, voices that we tell ourselves. And then sometimes we say out to others, that's the thing that we can do. You, you don't have to travel to Africa to have that love in your heart for your people. Uh, but again, it's a, it's, a, it's a great blessing if we do have that opportunity, but it's, it just, that's not necessary when it's really the heart. And then we talk about, again, going back to that consciousness. If you have that, that, that the own sense of appreciation 
and recognition of who you are and where you came from, then it doesn't matter what others say, or if you never had a DNA test, or if you never, you already know. I don't need to know. I already know who I am, that I am a royal priesthood. I am a chosen generation. I am, I am who God says I am. Is and that Israel and New Breed that you just quoted? <laughs> I remember that song. <laughs> and who God says who I am. Yes. That's awesome. Uh, let's get into this. I wanted to ask you this question, but I wanted you to jump into the African diaspora. Because being American, it, it, it's often said that if you speak two languages, you're bilingual. If you speak three languages, you're trilingual. But if you're American, you probably only speak one language we don't speak or really understand the world outside of this i would say reality that's been created for us until you actually leave we actually had a, a good friend of mine on um by the name of taye ahuru uh guy i've known for many years he's been to over 60 countries uh throughout the world and obviously visits africa often um he's taken that journey, but he's seen us all over the world and all of these other countries and cities. Get into that because you also teach that. Um, and I hate to use slavery as a reference point, but wasn't four out of every 10 captured taken to South America. And then the rest distributed amongst the Caribbean West Indies and then all the way up to the United States, et cetera, et cetera. Can you, can you get into the African diaspora and we as a people all over the world and why it's important for us to know that as well? Oh, absolutely. And that's another point of division when we see African, well, we see African-Americans, but Af uh, people of African descent for the Caribbean, for the Caribbean, um, and knowing that our histories uh, we have that, that's the, that's our histories are, 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 are the same, even though, again, those colonized uh, uh, thing, you know, imperialism and colonialism, um, and then putting those uh, first persons that were brought to the uh, to South America and to the islands and then to the Americas, I think we, we need to have another dialogue because uh, sometimes there is a, a disconnect um, uh, between those that are from African descent um, that are in the islands and those, again, it's a similar narrative that's been given to them as to our, our uh, African. Absolutely, descent. absolutely, yep. Yep, the same, they give, they fed the same line and that's all part of that, you know, keep that division going. And then, you know, they'll go back to uh, the enslavement of, of uh, you know, with the different skin, with colorism. And that we, you know, that's the, another thing, you know, all of that, it plays into these, the, the narrative of division. So within the diaspora that we have, to, and that's part of the, what we do talk about often and the appreciation of all the cultures throughout the African diaspora, the awareness and teaching about those of the, from the different uh, groups that are in, for example, in Brazil, uh, the, uh, and, then being, the, and being heavily discriminated against 
in Brazil and other parts of the world throughout the diaspora. So we can see again, it's, it's, it's the lack of educational opportunities, the lack of opportunities for economic uh, growth and wealth and, and wealth building in all parts of the world as it relates to people of African descent. So why is that again to keep this whole narrative going that we uh, again to keep this the layers of classism uh, and uh, layers of racism classism going that someone has to be the the, the superior one. So the the closer you are to uh, the appearance of a European American, the better off you are. So all of those things, and, and we, uh, it's just so much that we can peel back, but that's why these the dialogue for us to always know that we come from that same heritage and how we got there from the same, you know, outside of those explored, we're not talking about the before Christopher Columbus exploration folk, we're talking about the rest of us that got here because of the global enslavement of people from Africa. And then we had the diaspora. So we had those common threads that we need to say, no, we need all to always know that who we are and our identity as a people and our in bringing together and not separating on the base of where we are. If you're here and I'm in uh, Grenada and you're in, in Ohio, no, we need to know that we're yet one people. Why? is it cool to be black now? So growing up, me growing up, my partner growing up, my parents, um, my grandparents, of course, you know, you, your grandparents and whatnot, it wasn't cool to be black. And it also wasn't cool to be African. But now, because I, I can remember even being in school, I had a couple African classmates and because we didn't know any better, we talked out of ignorance. But now it's cool to be black. It's cool to be African. Why do you think that is all of a sudden in 2020, 2021? Um, I, well, I'm going to think positive um, about that. And I'm going to say because of the awareness and exposure, uh, even if you're going to use a myth, uh, a Marvel comic book, like uh, about Black Panther, uh, if you're going to, if you're going to use as a way to bring pride and to bring awareness, then so be it. Uh, so again, I think that awareness, um, I think that the media, uh, through, uh, and, and through, uh, people of notoriety, notoriety, um, famous people, uh, be it actors, or athletes that are, are showing their uh, pride on who they are and who they, uh, I think that's making a, that's an influence. Let's be real about that. That's, uh, that's going to be an influence. Uh, on the on the young people and that they can see that you know wearing their hair natural or uh, or all the other things and, and uh, being uh, seeing a darker complected African-American females and leading roles um, that changing this whole ideology of what beauty is um, all of these things uh, play a part in black being cool or or being in it is okay um, you know of your, you know, oh, you're dark. Oh, thank you. You know, uh, so, uh, and we can, we can, we're coming out of those things. So that hindrances and all those uh, ways in which that we were portraying, uh, really inflicting self-hatred on our, you know, and being manifested um, because of the, this, this 
internalizing the, what's the negative thing, narratives that we were receiving about what it is to be black. And, and I think it's a breakthrough, again, from my standpoint that young people are not uh, buying that narrative wholly as, um, as in past generations. So I would think that may be uh, a reason for that. Mm. Awesome. Awesome, awesome answer, which I hope that that gets even better, right? Because, uh, Absolutely. you know, I, I'll tell you, one of the things that shocked me, and just because I'm a man and I didn't know this, I grew up not realizing the scrutiny dark-skinned women went through, mm. right? And my, and my, my mom is dark-skinned, but she never really talked about it. Mm. I, I never realized the uh, amount of shame that they were meant to feel. But I bring that up simply because of this. The man, we go out, we work we provide but it's the woman who teaches the culture and who sort of creates that environment for a culture to thrive and i feel like black women african-american women african women um with all of the wonderful things that they're doing when it comes to black girl magic or black lives matter or being black they're the ones who are really thriving and really pushing it um I want you to talk about that, especially you being a, a black woman and how important it is for our younger generation to sort of take up that mantle and continue to push that. All right, great. Uh, especially this being Women History Month and we know that just like Black History Month every day. Yep, absolutely, every day. Honoring women, this as we say, but yeah, Black History Month every day is a day we celebrate uh, our African heritage. Um, but for uh, for certain um, women, uh, Black African-American women, to know that the power and the influence and the gift of influence that women have, it's a gift of influence. And so we want to use that influence to continue to build on the family of, the, the strength of the family and the identity of the Black people coming together, African-Americans coming together and knowing um, their culture and identity. And uh, again, if the, if, the, the, if the mom, the female is the one that's in the, most of the time with the, the children, again, that's the importance of reading uh, Dr. Ralph Gardner. He was a chemist, uh, uh, chemist, but anyway, but he also had in his heart he started the mothers read to your babies. And this is back in the 60s. Uh, and the importance of just, again, uh, talking and, and reading and, and, and sharing who they are to them, telling them they're just beautiful, telling them, because that's that first piece of understanding that love for uh, who we are, because that love that's coming through that mother and that nurturing of that mother. So sharing that, the beauty of, uh, up to that child and knowing who they are and knowing they're important and then knowing that they're a gift to the world and speaking that over them and speaking that to them. So that's why older uh, women uh, should again teach the younger and the younger teach the yet younger so we can keep it going and keep it going, keep it going. And that's uh, part of the legacy and the heritage of the, of the African-American family uh, to that, be it Big Mama, whoever, Auntie, or whoever it was, 
Uh, even if it was a lady down the street, down the street that we called auntie, who we knew wasn't really auntie, but again, would take under if that mother was working or that mother had, you know, just a lot on her mind, on her plate, somebody was there to help. And so they continue that kind of, we call it, uh, you know, effective uh, victim kin, but people that are not really related, but take on those roles. So we can, we don't have to be blood related to continue that to nurture and to help one another. Sometimes you just, you see a, a, a single parent or even someone that's not a single parent, but just a mother that needs a little help, give her that help, need a little support, give her that support. That's how we can carry on. And that, that legacy of strengthening one another and not pulling each other uh, down, but encouraging. And that's what I see in this generation. I see helping and I see working together and I see encouraging one another. And I want to continue to see that in our young people. And I do believe it's a, it's a change. It's a change, a change for the better uh, because a lot of the hurt um, is being addressed and it's real. So we can, uh, another, if you wanted to see a, uh, it's a, a great TED talk, uh, Confection of a D Girl, D stands for dark. You can, uh, it's a TED talk, you can see it on YouTube. I show it to my students. And uh, it just kind of, and then for, and I showed it at for our, our women's group and uh, you just seen the tears, I'm talking about tears of people in their fifties and sixties and 70, 70 years old. And then seeing uh, that still that hurt from what they experienced from being uh, a dark complected uh, African-American woman. So it's real. And so we have to get past those, uh, uh, Degrading one another on that and just stop some of those little things that we thought were funny names and such not funny but hurtful and we need we 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 not other people we we need to stop that so we can make the difference for ourselves we can make the difference for ourselves and not looking for anybody else to do that for us okay um first off yolanda i want to say you are doing a great job a very great job. And I kind of want to, I kind of want to uh, go a different route now. So I've watched, and I actually watched it with my son. I watched Judas and the Black Messiah. I've heard, I heard about the Black Panthers, but I really wasn't educated. But the one thing that stood out to me in that movie was how a young Black man that was 21 years old believed in something believed in helping his people believe in leading his people and he was willing to die for it which so that kind of leads me to to the question i have for you we know racism has been in this country for years and they say we've come a long way but yet there's all you you see so many signs to me i look back and i said have we really came a long way so i just want to know what is what is your stance on police brutality on racism and what do you think as black people as african americans what do you think we can do to to try to protect ourselves more or even to 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 bring more light to those situations of course now we have cell phones so everything is caught on camera but yet 
it's still it still happens it's like no matter how much it's exposed it's it still happens. it'll never stop is there if there is is there anything we could do to to and to make those to make those things stop well if i had that answer we would all <laughs> we would just shoot, make it go away but i think uh it has to start with if if the the ever they talk about training but in my opinion it's it's not a matter of training it's a matter of who you're picking who are you selecting it's a matter of if you look into someone's backgrounds like they did if, if they do like if i'm a you know in, in it that you do a teacher that's going to teach k to 12 they're going to do a background check they're going to do that they, when you do an interview like we tell our students if you're going to do an interview with somebody they, they're checking your facebook page or check, checking your instagram or whatever to see who your friends are and if they're doing all that for just a regular quote-unquote job then how much more should they be doing that sort of scrutiny and uh, really digging deeper when someone is applying to be a peace officer. So it, it, it starts with how they are uh, really selecting and recruiting. Uh, because if you go into some of these, uh, those that have been, well, we haven't had too many convictions, but at least those that have been charged with uh, it's with brutality, you can see in their backgrounds, the signs were there, uh, but signs not heated. And so I think that has to be a, a first stop into at least the, those that you have clearly uh, have issues if you're gonna put, give them a gun and say, you know, go out in the public. So uh, those are some of the things, but unfortunately, I think that uh, what most black parents teach their their sons in particular and daughters now, it's not going to change that rites of passage. You know, the, you know, both put make sure the wallets on the and the registration, all that's up front, and and then you're still not too sure what will happen after that. You know, just talk lower and slower. You know, yes or no. And those things part of the. Uh, it's. We are, I believe, in society, we would still have to do. And if the true change is going to have, it has to be systemic. It, had, it can't just be the, um, a Band-Aid, you know, take the, oh, this on, it's only a couple bad apples. We'll just take these two or three. No, it's in, it's, it's, it's in the system. It's in the system. We have to look at that. It's in the system. So we have to look at that. And, uh, and again, got to take it back in history. With that little uh, clause there, that little that little clause in the Thirteenth Amendment, you know, you can't be enslaved except if you're uh, uh, arrested and incarcerated, you know. But so all of that is still part of that system that's in place that has to be. Uh, we have to. It has to be. Uh, Shift. And I am a lifetime member of the National Association of Black and Criminal Justice. Uh, my husband was the past president of the state level, National Association of Black and Criminal Justice. And that's one of the charges to really make those differences systemically in the policies and practices and to empower those that are in, um, that are African-Americans that are in the criminal justice and law enforcement fields to get into to the levels uh, 
where the policies can be changed. And it's about the policies. It's about the policies and the, and the practices and that through the legislator on, on down that where the change has to occur. And, uh, and as we've seen with the Black Codes laws and Jim Crow law, blah, 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 it all has to, it has to, you can't change the heart, but we can, uh, we can line some of the policies and practices and laws to, because uh, some of those laws that are still in the books are just, it's crazy. Um, you know, still people that have, uh, don't still have the right to vote in some states and just, it's, it's crazy business. Uh, we have to look at the root of those things. And again, they go all the way back. They all go all the way back to the time of uh, getting uh, the reconstruction, getting rid of reconstruction and all those things that were in place to empower African-Americans economically and uh, civically. So anyway, long answer, but we got to, we have to, it's a lot of work to do, but it takes one at a time. Uh, each individual can make a difference. And we've seen that over and over uh, for those that are willing to uh, collectively as individuals, collectively uh, make a difference. Uh, thank you for that. So I have two more and then I'm gonna turn it over to my partner because he has another one. So, you know, obviously, obviously, you know, a lot about your history far and beyond about the 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 black history in general have you ever been have you ever been racially profiled i think we all have even if you didn't realize it um well if you have i want you to just if you can if you can you share the story with us to to, oh, to our viewers all these stories well i'll tell you um you call it what you want to call it but i tell you a situation that happened um, just going to, you know, uh, I was, uh, before I, uh, well, while being faculty mayor, I was a first an administrator. So I was representing the university at a corporate event at, uh, at the Lodge, uh, in the, uh, uh, in Indians actually, in, uh, uh, Lodge. And I was the only person of color there. But I had on, you know, my, you know, navy blue suit and my pearls, you know, your corporate, you know, it was a corporate event, a traditional uh, corporate sponsor, uh, sponsored the loads there. And so we were, you know, mingle, 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 you know how you do in the loads before the game, you're mingle, mingle, mingle. So there was a person standing, so I was talking with an individual, you know, and there was a person standing outside of our discussion or, or, or conversation. So normally, as you know, when you're networking, if someone's standing there, you motion for them to partake and be a part of that conversation. So that's what I did, but the person didn't move. So the uh, person I was talking to assumed that the person, since he were looking at me, uh, wanted to talk with me. So well, nice meeting you. And he walked away. So as I turned to greet this person with my hand outstretched to you know, to say, oh, I'll introduce myself. And as I extended my hand, the person took their hand and pointed toward the, uh, the seating area because we were in, inside the loge and then the other seating areas, you know, toward where people were in the game. And he says, the lady would like a drink. I said, excuse me? Wow. He said, the lady would like a drink. 
and you could hear a pin drop. You could hear every total silence. He repeated it too. And he had the nerve, to, like as if I was hard. I said, I thought he like, you know, okay, no. He had the nerve to repeat it. And again, you could hear a pin drop. And so I don't know what I look like, but his eyes, I don't know, I don't know what continents came over me, but his eyes got big as saucers. And he he turned beet red and he says, the lady can get her own drink. I said, yes, <laughs> the lady can get her own drink. And while she at it, make sure she get me one too. <laughs> That's what my dad said when I went, cause I was so, cause you don't, you know, uh, you know, as old as I am, I, you know, when I got home, well, well, I didn't go home. I went to my parents' house and told my parents what happened. And he said, he said, he said, he should have told him, get me, get me one too, exactly what you said. But isn't that terrible? Yeah. You know, uh, what, what do you call a black man with a million dollars? A millionaire. A nigga. I know. I know. Yeah, I, I know. I know you know. <laughs> but I, I only bring that up. because ways, There's a thousand different ways to be called. Nobody has to call you that. But there's a thousand ways they can call you that without calling you that. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what that person saw, even though I'm there. But again, navy, you know, the traditional navy blue suit, pearls, and my pumps. <laughs> it didn't make a difference because that's all they saw. Did they apologize? Yes. Uh, well, they'll tell you what happened because I was so, I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, so then, then, okay. And then another thing that was kind of corny, uh, the, cause the person that invited uh, myself, uh, the corporate, what was their, their, their company was the corporate sponsor, but they hadn't uh, arrived there yet. So when they came and, and I guess they, nobody know, cause it was still this silence. I mean, it was dead silence still. And then somebody comes over and said, oh, we, we would love her to work with that. Uh, we would love her to be uh, part of our company. So they played it off as if, you know, the person was thinking I was a host with the company or something. I don't know. They tried to play it off that way. So that broke. So they all said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we would there. They all, oh, yes, we would love for her to be. And uh, But the person that, because they didn't know me, none of them knew me because the person that invited me wasn't there yet. So when he came. Uh, the person that uh, invited uh, came in. We went and sat in the sat down, and my colleague was there. My colleague was with was with who was this uh, European male uh, colleague. Um, I think I was actually his supervisor, and so uh, he we sat and we watched. We, we were there for like forty five minutes into the game, and then he said, "Do you want to go?" I said, "Yeah, yeah." So we left. So wow. the person did come up and say, I apologize, but he got in on that. Oh, because we, you know, thought you were, you know. Uh, I knew you had a good one. That's why I asked. I knew you yeah, had a good one. Yeah. Uh, it's no, it's, yeah, it's very unfortunate. And it's something uh, they had Bob Johnson on the breakfast club and mm-hmm. he gave a similar story. That he said that, uh, yeah, you saw that. He said, you know, he would be out front at a restaurant waiting for his car his brand new sports car somebody would come up and hand him the keys the like key. he's the valet I mean, but, yeah right 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 exactly and then and then he he told the story he had bought 
you know, he built BET, he's got all this money and whatnot. He bought his daughter a 200-acre horse farm in a prominent area in Virginia because she was a equestrian. He goes into, I don't know if it's the stable house or whatever, and the guy is in there doing some work. Now, he hired this guy. I don't think he knew that the guy he was working for was black. So he walks in and the guy looks at him. He said, hey, if you here to sweep up, you better hurry up because the boss will be here soon. And so Bob Johnson said, <laughs> look, this is what he said. He said he thought about it for a second. And he was like, nah, I don't think I'm going to do any sweeping today. <laughs> and just, it just left back out. Right. But he said, man, you know, it still happens no matter how successful you are educated you are how how well you speak or whatever yeah. that that means whatever that means right yeah and so you know i i've been profiled willie i'm i'm sure you've been profiled and i'm i'm, I'm glad you brought that up we've all been profiled i want to get into this um because we we've, we've unpacked a lot we definitely want to have you back on we've gone from africa to america to the rest of the world but let's bring it back to the nuclear family because mm -hmm. the family is what has been disrupted in our community uh he just talked about judas and the black messiah and j edgar hoover's primary mission above organized crime was to disrupt negro unity That's and back then black families were very close-knit because that's all we had but nowadays they're throwing out all these different agendas to disrupt the family so we're seeing more divorce than we've ever seen we're seeing uh i mean i don't know if there's a culture where the men compete against the women but it's definitely in our in our culture i wanted you to delve into that because that's so important and that's how our civilizations were built uh, I wanted you to talk about the importance of that, having unity within the family and being on one accord. Oh, that's a great question. And because it's so important, uh, it is, uh, again, we, we know the roots of it. We don't have to go there again. We know the roots of it um, from the, the and, uh, from, again, the enslavement uh, and having uh, the women feel that they had no protection when the male is the male is watching the female being you know raped and and taken away child stat and the man can't do is the demasculization of the male uh, figure um, in African American uh, family and to to strip that and to see that he can't do anything for you so you have to depend on me the slave master or uh, government, whatever you want to look at it, right? And so we have to look at that and say, you know, why is it that even back in the horrors of slavery that uh, African-American families would risk life and limb to be reunited, risk leave one plantation to get to the other, just to find their spouse, just to find their sibling, just to find their child, and then after uh, slavery was over, how they just went everywhere trying to find, trying to reconnect. And we can see uh, documentation, US Census, Department, all these other, uh, you can look at 
that the uh, family households were together uh, with over, was way over 70, even 80% up until the 60s. What happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? Uh, we can point to the Monaghan Report, part to whatever you want, but you can point to some of these policies that came in place to make it a disadvantage or even a punitive for the family to be together. So we have to be careful when someone comes along trying to hand something to see what they're gonna take away. So, wow. so we have to be always look at that, so, you know, be, be mindful. So we have to look at that we need one another. We've always worked together. Maya Angela had a, uh, she did a prelude to a song. She said, we were, she said, when we were in the fields, we were together. We were, and she named all these things, we were together. So we have to look at why is it now that we're not together? So we have to really uh, take another look at that and make sure that we don't, don't again, what comes out of our mouths, uh, speaking negative about uh, one another. And that's why I do have to, uh, I'm not all that pleased with some of our, our music artists, I leave that term lightly. That no, no, go ahead and, 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 and speak yeah. on it because we know exactly what you're talking they, about. They, they, are, they, they have some accountability. You can't blame uh, European Americans for all of this. You got a you 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 got a role to play when you felt that the money was more than the family value, when the money was more worth than the dignity of your sister and your mother and your auntie, okay, and your daughter. You would need that money more, so that you got a problem. So we which created a problem where you could able to call out a name that that we wouldn't dare, that you wouldn't dare call uh, someone else of a different persuasion that because you would have got hung, even if you blinked at them. And even if you, you didn't even wink at them, like Emmett Till didn't do anything, but like got lied on and, and was tortured and killed. And so you wouldn't have dared, you were trained not to say certain things to other people, but now you just feel free that you can say anything and call anything to your beautiful sister. I'm so glad you went there. Because I don't really, I don't really listen to rap music, so it's not even, it's not in my house. Only time my kids will hear it is if they go to school and somebody else. So um, my wife was telling me she she lets the kids pick a song each morning while they're on their way to school. My oldest picked one, and she I remember remember her texting me earlier this week like, "Hey, you need to have a talk with your son." She gave me the situation it was a song and she's like I didn't know what the song was but the song started off pretty much him saying I'm ready to die um this that and the third calling women all types of names and stuff so I remember and I was trying to figure out okay what route am I gonna take to talk to my son so I remember pulling him in the room I was like I want to hear the song you want to listen to so he started off and it started off well I'm ready to go something like that, whatever it was but I was like, man, do you know what he's talking about? Do you know what he's saying? He's saying he's ready to die. He's saying he's calling. I'm like, first off, you have a sister. You have a little sister. Like, he's calling women all types of names. All, like, and, and then he, here, they're on there. He's using these words he shouldn't be using. Like, I'm like, do you think 
a kid should be listening to this type of music. And what really made me, because where I'm going with this is it starts at the home. And I told him, like, you don't listen to this music here. Mom and I don't listen to this. So you're you're getting it from some of the kids from school. And I was like, do you think they should be listening to this music? He's like, no, I don't think it is. So it starts, it starts, the culture starts in the home. The foundation starts in the home. And we talk about that a lot here on this podcast, that if the foundation is is bad, the house is not going to stand up. It start, you cannot build a house without a foundation, without a solid ground. You can't. So, and to me, and it's saddening when I see, because I'm not saying everybody is, is, is you're, you can raise your kids the way you want to, but to me, it's saddening when I see kids going in the wrong directions, but the parents think it's normal. The parents think it's, it's just the way it is. And to me, that that continues what we like to call in our, our household, we call it the generational curse. The curse will never be broken until someone realizes that, you know what, this is not the way. This this is this this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I love Alex and I because we always pound this on the table. It's more to black people than just being an athlete or or uh or a rapper or entertainer. You could go be a lawyer. You could be a doctor. You can go. You can. It's so much more. Like when they look at us, the first thing they see is, "Oh, that's an athlete. I bet he plays sports." If if you see a tall black guy, the first thing you think, even now, I still think it. Man, he got to play basketball. Right, right, right. So we're we're so trapped in the mind, and again, it all falls back to the foundation and the culture that's set at home. We set this culture, and then we send our kids out to the wolves. Right. I, well, you said so much, so powerful, what you were saying. Um, preach, Willie, preach. Train people how, to, how you want to be treated. So when we say these things about ourselves, you give, you're really given license for others to do the same, even though they may not be as bold to, do, to say it, but they're going to think it, and you're, you're reinforcing that stereotype. You are giving credibility to these lies and myths that uh, black women are just this, you know, stanks or whatever the things that you know uh, that you that negative things that we would hear or be portrayed about black women and a black black people in general. And they, uh, if they don't, they if they want the money more, then to your point, it's up to the the, the parent in the home or to know that it's not acceptable. And it's not acceptable because that's not who I am. And that's not who you are. So no matter if someone else is making a million dollars off of it, that's not what we are going to to portray. That's not what we are going to allow, to your point. And I think it's in another side of that that needs to be taught. If you don't know, if 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 someone didn't know any better, so to speak, and that's why we could teach like, hey, you know, is that that sound that sounds like your your mom? No, well then let's yeah, let's no it doesn't. That just, does it sound like your grandma? No. So maybe let's let's do something different. Let's say something different. And we want to talk about life and living 
and, and enjoying the things that, that life that you can have and, and how you can get to that life that you want to have and start just turning that around with conversation. That's why dialogue is gonna be important just like you did with your son. Uh, everybody may not have that dad and that home to do that, but you can be that. And that's where that, that neighbor, that village principal comes in. You may be able to be that to someone else's son. You may be that example that that for someone else's or I may, to someone else's daughter, myself, or you know that's why we have to not just look within our own households and think of us as a broader family unit, that bigger community, and have a responsibility. So well, that's not my thing. Well, we are, we are, we are. How we one goes, it's going to affect the all. When someone looks at me, they're going to see just. It, it's not the first time that person did that to somebody, I'm sure. I think he won't do it again, but I believe that that wasn't his first time because it's in the mindset. So we want to, again, change those, change those mindsets, but we have to start with ourselves. We really, I believe it has to start with us. It really does. It really does. And again, in the family unit, and what we call the family. And I believe that family is whoever supports you and your goals for in the positive, whoever makes a positive impact on your life. And your, that's your family, that's your family. So we don't have to go by with about, you know, a biological or anything of that nature. The family has to be those that are supporting you and speaking life to you and help you to, uh, Sometimes you have to, unfortunately, go outside of the family and then, then come back and bring those things back to the family, your, your biological family. But sometimes you do have to go outside. It may be a little tough, but sometimes you do have to go outside of that family when you know that it's, 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 not, it's, it's not feeding you positively, okay? And it's doing harm. Yolanda, what are your final thoughts? What do you want the people to know? Um, you know, we unpacked a lot here tonight on the beginning of our history, not just the beginning that they want us to know, right? The bondage and the whips and the change, but, you know, the greatness, how civilization started and how we influenced and Im impacted the entire world all the way up until where we are today. But if you were to share some final thoughts, what would you tell the people? I would tell the people, like I said, I think in the beginning, you are who God says we are. And that foundation, uh, it, it, for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord and to know who God says you are. And I don't, and it can't be anybody outside of that, no greater, no bigger that can tell me otherwise. And that's the foundation, that's the foundation. And if you know that, then you can build on the history and we can look at the gifts that God has given uh, us as a people. You can see it, I mean, you can see it in the books, you can see it in the, in the history, you can see it through the archeology, span you can see all these gifts that's given and what we, what we do with them, what we have done with them. That's, that's, and what we will continue to do with them. That's on us. We've been given the divine right to live, not because the constitution says so, 
uh, the Declaration of Independence says so. We've been given the divine right to be who we are called to be. And that's a great people to be a blessing to great people to impart our gifts and to use it to the betterment, not only of our own community, but for others. And everybody has that responsibility. Each individual has that responsibility to give their best to their own family first and then to the community at large. We have the right for that. We have the right to that. We have the right to that and to always know that and to build upon it. So you just can't just take that if that's like anything, if you get you have to build on it, you have to grow it. And I would encourage everyone to do just that, grow the gifts that you've been given and to know it's just not for you and yours. It's for the broader sense of community, the broader family and in the global community. But it starts at home, it starts with you, and it starts with your own circle of influence. We all have an influence, so we ought to use it and gain your knowledge, grow, knowledge, read. I don't care if they say everything's on the internet, pick up a book <laughs> every night. <laughs> and, and or you get off the internet, I'm not mad at the internet, but just begin to read and then to really uh, do some critical thinking for yourself and to say, I know, I, I know I'm here for a purpose. And I know I'm here for a purpose. And I wanted to find that out even more so. And I'm willing to do uh, what it takes to, to be at my best, at my greatness, at my greatness. And that's what, I, that's what I would encourage everyone to do and support one another in doing that and support one another as we do that. That's, that's, that's awesome, that's awesome. You mentioned books, give me your top three books, recommended reading. And even if you wanna do more than three, that's fine, but what, recommended reading would you tell the audience to go and pick up all right outside of the bible number one and number two there's a wonderful book um and i have uh, i don't know if you can see it uh, well you may, you may not have to see it mm. we have so many great books i have a lot of books on our on our shelves um but Maya Angelou's book, I know, I know why the Cage Bird Sings with her collection, um, it's inspiring. Um, I would encourage people to really, um, any any of her works um, are really speak to the heart. Um, and some of the books that I really like are more biographies. I don't know if people are really into biographies all that much but there you know there's some really great biographies uh that if you want to uh, one of my favorite i'd love i don't know if you uh well i'm sure you do i'm sure you do i'm doing do you do um some of the books written uh earlier on by langston hughes and ida b wells you know ida b wells who who led the uh, charge against lynching uh, global, global uh, activists um, and some of the old, uh, I'll just get your hands on those, um, those three. Um, I do uh, Colin Powell's uh, autobiography. It's, it's a wonderful read. Um, Colin Powell, uh, as you know, uh, was like um, Chief Justice, um, 
uh, and with my other biography, uh, his biography. Um, you know, what is, uh, I think those, I think that's a nice call for if you go with those. Um, it's a diverse, and that way you give you a little bit of balance. It's not all. Um, I think those are the, the ones I'd pick out for you to read. I was going to, it's so dark, and I just noticed it's so dark in here. I can't even, uh, you wouldn't be able to see this one. <laughs> uh, so I'm sorry, I didn't have the lights on. When I moved from the window, <laughs> there's no lights on. Uh, but, um, no, that's no, it's okay. I mean, it was still an incredible interview. And Yolanda, how can people get in touch with you? How how can our audience reach you? Okay, um, you can go into uh, our, our uh, info at mountpleasantheritagehouse.org, um, and that's the email address. I'll be happy to um, I'll email you back, and um, and it's information about our. Um, foundation or a nonprofit that that's our goal and our mission is to uh, promote and preserve the rich culture and heritage of the African diaspora, as well as other ethnic groups, but in particular the African diaspora. So again, info at mountpleasantheritagehouse.org. And that's MT, no period, mtpleasantheritagehouse.org. Well, all right. Willie, you got anything else, brother? Uh, there's no way I'm going to say something after all that, that's, 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 that's a mic drop, man. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely think we need to have back on for part two because there's a lot to unpack. And uh, we want to say thank you and we greatly, greatly appreciate you being able to take the time out of your day to share this wisdom, to share this history, all of this greatness with us and our audience. I hope you guys learned something. And uh, it's the Black Culture Podcast. Peace. Peace out. Blessings.